where we're talking about self-image a little bit for the last few weeks. We're talking about what it means to align your thinking with God's thinking. When we say we want you to be a follower of Christ, we want you to be Christ-like, what Christianity essentially is, Christianity is about aligning your heart and mind with Jesus Christ. Being like Christ, thinking like Christ, being what Christ said we are. The world is filled with voices trying to speak into our lives about who we are. Um, I, I would love, if I had the time, and I certainly don't this morning, I would love just to speak if I had the freedom about human sexuality. Because I'm afraid that so many people in this generation are being so confused by all the voices that are out there telling you you're a homosexual or telling you you're a lesbian or telling you you're this or telling you you're that or just confusing us so much, you know. Let me just shoot something across the bow real quick. If you're a female and a female who's attractive walks into the room and you notice she's a beautiful person, that doesn't mean you're a lesbian. If you're a man... And a handsome man walks into the room and you say, dang, that guy's good looking. That doesn't mean you're a homosexual because you are an admirer of beauty. I just, the world is so confusing right now. And it's so confusing primarily because there's so many voices saying so many things to us that are not true about us. So listen, listen very carefully to my opening statements. You are not who you think you are. You are who God says you are. Your identity is not something you make up. You are what your creator said you are. You were fearfully and wonderfully and uh, made by, by an awesome God who made you what you are. To really understand your identity is not a journey of self-discovery as much as it is a journey of knowing your creator and when you know your creator when the heart seeks to know God God reveals who we are this is why the joy and peace comes into the life of the follower of Christ because they've connected with their creator and their creator is saying let me tell you how I designed you oh you're fearfully wonderful let me tell you how you work let me tell you what makes you tick let me tell you what brings real peace and joy into your life. If you want to be healthy, then align your view of yourself with God's view of you. Say, God, I want to know how you see me, and I want to bring my thinking in line with who you see me as. And, and, and this morning, really, I'm going to ask you, do you see yourself as weak, or do you see yourselves as a great warrior in the battle against good and evil? Let me, give you a, let me give you an assessment question to think about this morning. Do you see yourself as a great warrior for the kingdom of God? When you look in the mirror, when you reflect upon, here's who I am, do you see yourself, you know, I'm a warrior. I'm a soldier in the kingdom of God. I am, I have power and, and I, have, I have strength and I have might and here's who I am and here's what God made me to be and God made me to do. And I see myself as a key player in the kingdom of God right now in this generation on the battlefield for Jesus Christ. Now, if that's not the way you see yourself, I want to go ahead and tell you before I get much further, that is the way God sees you. And so to be really healthy is to start bringing your thinking in line with this 
I am, God sees me as a warrior, seriously. God sees me as a soldier. God sees me as being able to stand up against evil and against Satan. Yes, that's the way God sees you. Now, let me take you back on a quick journey this morning. We're going to go back a few millennia here. And I want to take you back to the city of Rome. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been to Rome. Who's been to Rome? Anybody in the room? Oh, a whole bunch of people. Wow. So the big Victor Emmanuel multi-story white monument right there on the big uh, circle drive sits at the head of the forum just to the left. You've seen Trajan's pillar then where he conquered Dacia, which is ancient name for Romania. And then just behind that starts the Roman Forum. And it runs the Roman Forum. It's just an old cobblestone street from downtown Rome 2,000, 3,000 years ago that runs right down and it dead ends into the Roman Colosseum. There where the stones are stained with several hundred years of Christian blood. You had to pass through the arch of Titus or Titus who sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD and burned it with fire and leveled the city. There on the Roman Forum there is the old Senate building where they stabbed Julius Caesar to death. There is the goddess temple of Vesta where the Vestal Virgins ministered in Rome. Over here is the house of Julius Caesar. All right here on this little street. Very compact. And just a few steps from the house of Caesar... There is a prison called the Mamertine Prison. We'll have to descend down some steps to get below ground level. Uh, Let's think of it more as a dungeon if you guys have been in the room. It's just a low ceiling, just a stone room, an underground prison. There's a grate where a little bit of light's coming through a hole in the, in the, uh, the, the roof, the ceiling of the little stone room. The room's about from... Me to the front row right here, just a small room. And in this room, there are Roman soldiers. There is a prisoner chained to the Roman soldier. And the prisoner is actually history's most famous prisoner. There have been many famous prisoners, but this is the most famous of all. The Apostle Paul sits in that little jail cell. There is a chain either around his ankle or around his wrist, a manacle. And it runs across a few feet, a meter or so, and the other end of it is connected to a Roman soldier. After about three hours, a key turns in the lock. In comes a soldier, a rested soldier, a soldier who's had some downtime. He comes in with a key, unlocks the lock from the other soldier, the tired soldier, the one who's been on watch, takes the manacle off and puts it on his own arm, hands the key to the tired soldier who's coming off shift and the fresh soldier sits in the room with the Apostle Paul. He's been writing. He's written five chapters, as you know it, of the book of Ephesians now. He sits with an oil lamp, paper, and pen. And he's been writing this letter to the Ephesians. He's finished now chapter number five and thinking about signing his name and saying, the end. But the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul one more time. Paul's looking at the soldier. By now, they all know each other by name. By now, we're wondering if Paul is chained to the soldier or if the soldier is chained to Paul. We're wondering who really is the prisoner here. 
Because we know that Paul from that prison cell wrote half of the New Testament. So in the will of God, we know why Paul is there. God needed to slow him down for five minutes so we'd have a Bible. The soldiers are there. They can't leave. They're captive as well. I can't help but believe you're going to see a few of them when you reach heaven's shore. Paul looks over at the soldier and is studying him, maybe talking to him. And the Holy Spirit whispers to Paul, write one more chapter. So Paul gets another sheet of paper and says, okay, chapter 6, what do you want me to write? Look at the soldier, Paul. Study the soldier. Paul, I want you to write one more chapter to those people who are going to live in Fort Worth a few thousand years from now, and I want you to tell those people in Fort Worth that I see them like I see this soldier. Paul, I want you to tell the Ephesians of your generation that when I see my children, I see soldiers like this man right here. Paul, look at the soldier. Now, let me give you some just introductory remarks very quickly. First of all, I need you to know this morning When God calls you a soldier, several things are implied by that statement. Number one, what's implied is that you have a king. You have a commander. If you are a soldier, then somewhere there is a king. Somewhere there is a ruling authority in your life who's giving direction to the soldiers. Somewhere there is a commander-in-chief. Somewhere there is a captain of your salvation. Somewhere there is a lion of the tribe of Judah calling the shots. Does that make sense? Paul said a soldier does not go to war at his own charge, but there's a higher authority that sends the soldier to war. Paul said the soldiers don't get bogged down with the same things of this life that civilians get bogged down with, but soldiers have a bigger purpose and a different purpose. They go to battle at the command of their authority. This morning I need you to know that you have a king. I want you to embrace that. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, these are the words that the Holy Spirit gave to Paul. As he looks at the soldier, the Holy Spirit says, write this down, Paul. Finally, be strong in the Lord. One thing I want to encourage you with this morning is you are strong. And you say, I don't feel strong. That's because you're not strong in your own strength. Your strength is not in your own strength. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the of His might, in the strength of His might. Listen, you have a power behind you that is stronger than any power in the universe. And when you say, I am weak, Paul said, yes. And when you recognize you are weak, then he is strong for you. Listen, don't go to battle in your strength against Satan. He'll eat your lunch. But when you go to battle against Satan, know that you can, you can push back the powers of evil. You can do battle with the devil, not because you're strong, but because he is strong. Because your king is strong. And he's transferring his power to you for battle. Now, he doesn't transfer his power to you to sit on the sidelines. Engage in the battle and you'll feel the power flow into your life. Does that make sense? Live for Jesus and feel the strength coming in to strengthen your life. If you've received Uh, Jesus Christ, you're part of a kingdom, his kingdom. You're in what we would call a game of thrones. You are in a battle between two opposing forces, two opposing powers that are 
vying for control of the universe and to rule over humanity. There's a warfare being waged right now in the invisible world around us for domination of this universe. Two forces are vying for control. The news only knows about China and Russia and the United States. That's all they know about. Three big powers vying for control of planet Earth. There's bigger powers than that. There are the forces of darkness and evil, and there are the forces of righteousness and truth. And that's the real battle for the universe that's going on around us. Now, if you've received Christ as your Savior, let me remind you of his words. Jesus came and said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. I am the authority of the universe. I am the sovereign God who created this universe. All authority is given to me. And I'm saying to my disciples, to my people, go and make disciples of all nations. If you wonder why we go, that's why we go right there. Because we have a king and he's calling the shots and he's commanding us to do something. Let me move very quickly. Not only do you have a king, you have an enemy. You have an enemy. Let's not stick our heads in the sands and pretend like the world is a playground. The world is not your Las Vegas. The world is a battleground for Christians. I'm not saying you can't have fun in this world. I'm not saying you can't enjoy this world. What I'm saying is you have to view this world as a place where you live as a soldier, advancing the kingdom of God. And for you, the world is more a battlefield than it is a a playground for you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11, put on... The whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of the present darkness. This sounds very ominous, doesn't it? We battle against cosmic forces of darkness. Sounds very ominous. And it would be without Jesus Christ. Very ominous. But what he's saying is don't get freaked out. I'm just telling you like it is. But listen, don't, don't even let it cause you pause this morning. We, we do fight against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, what I want to say to you is you have an enemy, and if you're going to survive, if you're going to thrive as a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have to know there's somebody shooting at you. If you're going to have a successful war... <laughs> then you at least need to know who the enemy is and and who's shooting and and, and what their tactics are. By the way, one of the modules that we're going to do in the spring season on Wednesday night is a book club of the book Tactics. Fantastic book. We led probably by one of our deacons. You ought to sign up for that and be a part of that. You need to know what your tactics are, what your opponent's tactics are, and know how to prosecute the war successfully. The enemy of Christ is Satan. And the powers of darkness. Let me be very clear in what I'm saying. People are not our enemy. Our enemy is a spiritual force of evil led by Satan himself. People are not our enemy. He may manipulate people to carry out his evil designs. But don't conflate sinners with Satan. They're not the same thing. Sinners are actually our mission. People are actually our mission. There was never a worse murderer of Christians than the Apostle Paul. But look how God transformed his life and and made him him a a Bible writer and a soul winner and a disciple maker and and a kingdom builder. Listen, people looked at him as the enemy. He wasn't the enemy. 
Satan was the enemy. He was just a man who was deluded by evil and needed to be born again like all of the rest of us. People are our mission. So don't conflate evil people with Satan. They're not the same thing. People may be pawns in an evil scheme of Satan, but Satan is the evil power behind those people. And having identified our enemy, now Paul says, thirdly, I need to tell you that you have armor. The Holy Spirit says, Paul, look at the soldier. Paul, look at the soldier. I want you to write another chapter. Tell my people they have armor. So Paul looked over at the soldier and began to study his armor. And Paul begins to write again, verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God. I want you to, if you have a Bible, underline whole armor. This is a very key word here. Take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See, Jesus said, all authority is given to me and I'm going to put you on my mission. But I'm not going to send you out there to get slaughtered. I'm going to send you out there with my power and my authority. I remember when we went to one of these Asian villages. And the people, the Sanhedrin came out and they said to us, by what authority are you making disciples here? We called them together and we opened the Bible to Matthew 28 and we said, Our king has sent us here to make disciples. And we come under the authority of king named Jesus Christ who said, All authority is given to me. Go make disciples to all nations. You are the all nations and here we are. Receive the word. We come at our king's command. But he doesn't send us out to take shots and be hurt. He sends us out with armor to be safe and to be protected and to defeat our enemy and not to be cowed down by the powers of spiritual darkness. Take the whole armor. Nothing is superfluous. No piece of armor is optional. You will need it all to be successful. Partially armed soldiers are vulnerable in some area of their life. Does that make sense? If you've got the whole armor, you're safe. But if you just have the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and nothing else, you have no sword, you have no sword of the Spirit, no belt of truth, no shoes of peace, you're going to get shot up in the places where you're vulnerable. So now, having told him to take the whole armor, he describes what the whole armor would be. He's got a soldier sitting right there. He doesn't have to imagine much. There he is. Let's just describe what Paul is seeing. So Paul dips the quill in the ink and begins to write. Here's what he says, verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The first piece of armor is the belt of truth. Now when I say belt, an American thinks inch and a quarter, inch and a half, two inch belt, right? That's not what he's talking about. The soldier that's sitting there doesn't have a thin belt like this on the soldier sitting there I want you to think of what would be a weightlifter's belt you know what I'm saying like when the boxer wins the championship and it's this big that buckle looking thing the the leather's thick and strong that's more the belt I want you to be thinking of uh the belt went around the waist girded the loins and all the vitals it had straps that went over the shoulders that helped it not loosen up or come down It had attachment points all over it that you could clip gear to. It had leather flaps that came down and covered the abdomen and lower body. And on those metal flaps, there are little uh, metal ornaments. I was in the battle for Pearl Harbor. I was in the Battle of the Bulge. I fought the campaign of Germania, of Gaul. I've been to Greece. I fought the battle for the Civil War of Italy. 
all of those little grommets, all of those medallions on the skirt both protected them. And it was like the insignias our military men and women wear right here that show I'm a purple heart winner. I'm a bronze star person. I'm a silver star person. I've been in Vietnam. All of those ribbons are here in medallions protecting their lower body. The belt of truth is exactly what you imagine it to be. It is the very word of God. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The thing that holds everything together for the soldier is the belt he wears. All of the other equipment is going to be attached and secured to it. The sheath for his sword, the breastplate's going to attach. Everything's going to attach to the belt of truth. And the belt of truth is going to cinch him up tight and hold everything together. Can you make the parallel spiritually right now? Do you know what holds your life together spiritually? You know what cinches everything up tight around you? Do you know why Jesus said, gird up the loins of your mind? He's saying, I want to wrap the Word of God around your life like a, like, a, like a belt around a Roman soldier. It's going to hold your entire life together. The devil operates on the basis of error. The devil operates by misleading. He's the father of lies. He is a deceiver. He can quote Scripture better than a Baptist, but he takes it out of context... And uses it as a proof text to throw at you. He misquotes it. (laughs) He lies. He deceives. Jesus Christ says your life is the exact opposite of that. What holds you together is you know the truth. And you know the truth. And the truth will do what for you? (laughs) It ought to set you free. Let me say it in this context. It will hold your life together. Because you're going to be bombarded by voices speaking many things in this world. And when you know the truth, you can discern what's, what's not right and what is right, and it'll just anchor your life together. David even knew this. He wrote in one of the songs of the Old Testament, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. I need truth in my inward being. It's what holds my life together. Peter wrote it this way in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Prepare your mind for action. How do you prepare your mind for spiritual battle? Well, you got to get the Word of God in there. you got to get the truth inside of your life. And the more you get in there, you're prepared to go live in the world this week. Our children are prepared to go live in a school where they're going to be taught evolution alternate lifestyles, all kinds of things that don't align with the Word of God. You say, how can we stand to send them out into a world like that? Because their minds are wrapped in the Word of God. The truth has them secure. They're going to be fine. They're just going to be fine. Aren't you scared for them? Not in the least. Not even a little, to be honest with you. I have two boys at two of the most liberal universities in America. People ask me all the time, are you scared for them? Not in the least. Not in the least. Why? Well, good night. If Jesus Christ can't take care of them, what am I going to do? Listen, for 20 years almost, we tried to get as much of the Word of God inside those brains as we could. And God's got them. And God's got you. Just get the Word in there. It'll hold your life together. 
Let me move quickly. My time's almost done. Ephesians 6.14. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate obviously covers all the vital organs. It's a thing you fasten around your chest, abdomen, some back protection. Covers all of your vital organs from your neck down to your waist, your lungs, your heart, your, 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 your liver, your kit. You're all protected by small armor plates that overlap one another like fish scales would overlap. It would flex, it would bend, but it had armor plates that overlapped one another. And when, those, when that armor was worn, the strange thing about the armor, the more you wore the armor, the brighter the armor got because the metal plates rubbed together all the time. And, and armor that wasn't used got rusty and armor that was used, you could tell it'd be shiny and bright, and you could tell it was worn constantly. And as I was just thinking about that, I even wrote a note to myself, is your armor rusty because it's sitting in storage? Or is your armor bright and shiny because you wear it every day? Don't you think when you met someone on the battlefield, you would know the difference? When a guy walks up with armor that's rusty and you can tell it's never been used, he just put it on today for the first time, don't you think the enemy looked over there and said, well, this should be pretty easy? You see what I'm saying? And you walked out against an opposing force and their armor was gleaming bright and well-worn with use, you might have said, rot row, this is not going to go well. And I think I want to tell you this morning, Satan knows the difference. When we accepted Christ, we were given the righteousness which only the Lord Jesus Christ could give us. The breastplate of righteousness which only Jesus could give us. We were not righteous. He gave us the breastplate of righteousness as a free gift. And that righteousness which He gave us is everything we were not. And that righteousness which He gave us is everything that Satan is not. And he says, I'm going to give you something that is only mine, and I give it only to my children to wear. And by faith, you receive it as a free gift. Amen. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, book of Romans. And if you receive Christ, he says, I'm giving to you a special piece of armor called the breastplate of righteousness. And when you wear it, it's going to get shinier and shinier and shinier. And my righteousness will be reflected to the people around you. They will know you're one of my soldiers by what I've given to you. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. These are called the shoes of peace. Now the Roman soldier, uh, let me describe the shoes very quickly. They were shoes and shin guards all in one. In other words, they started up here. Uh, and any of you who played baseball or uh, you gals who played softball uh, or maybe even some kind of field hockey or something, you, there was a shin guard that went down on the front and it attached to a leather shoe made from the finest leather. Listen, they asked Julius Caesar, they said, we want to study you and understand why your uh, uh, legions are so successful in battle. And one of the answers given was they have the finest shoes in all the world. We make special shoes for our soldiers. They're made of the finest leather. They have shin guards on the front. They are lined with rabbit fur and and fox fur on the inside. Uggs. We provide Uggs for our men. I mean, when you want to go to battle, right? You want your feet to feel good, right? So we have fine leather shoes lined with fur. And we have big metal 
cleats. Anybody play baseball in high school or college? Big metal cleats on the bottom of those shoes. And when we are in a bloody, mushy, gushy intestines and blood battlefield, our guys don't slip and slide charging the hill. They go up it like a mountain goat goes through the Rockies. They just chew through the enemy because they have the correct shoes, the correct footwear, and that's why my soldiers move so fast. The Holy Spirit said, Paul, look at the soldier and tell Cornerstone Baptist Church what they've got to wear when they walk out of the church Monday morning to go live in this world, that they are equipped with the finest footwear known to mankind. They are the shoes of the gospel of peace. You say, what does it mean? It means this, as we move through our communities sharing the gospel, this is what brings peace to the families in our community. As God's people walk around in the shoes of the gospel of peace, when we bring peace among the races of the world, it brings racial unity and not racial division. When we wear the shoes of the gospel of peace into a culture, it brings people peace in that culture. What I want you to know is the Prince of Peace is still on the throne this morning, bringing peace to people who receive the gospel and who minister the gospel. And when the Twin Towers fell at 9-11, we were in a pastor's meeting. Mom and I went to a chaplain's meeting to, to see what could be done to help the people. And one of the things they said is we need pastors to come to New York and we've noticed something we can't explain. When we bring pastors and Christian workers there to minister to the people, a peace settles over the people in New York. Oh, I can explain it. When I strap up my shoes of peace and I walk with the gospel of peace into a room where people have no, all questions and no answers and it's chaos, the Holy Spirit comes with me into that environment and the Prince of Peace begins to minister to people's hearts. What he's saying is you spread what you are wherever you go. Are you a malcontent? You'll spread it wherever you go. Are you just a grumpy, hateful person? You just spread it wherever you go. Are you a soldier of Jesus Christ? Then you spread oxymoron, right? You're a soldier, but you know what you're going to do? You're going to push back the forces of evil and the peace of God. It's going to flood wherever you go. That is your mission. You bring peace. You bring righteousness. You bring encouragement. You build people up. You don't tear them down. Then he says this in verse number 17. <clears throat> oh, sorry, 16. He says we're going we're gonna to take up the shield of faith. Look at this. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil. And let me describe quickly. My time's about gone. The Roman soldier has a two-foot by four-foot shield. About this tall, about this wide. It curves. It has what looks like a, an insignia on the front, a big medallion. It has hooks around the edge, which you can't see in many of the pictures. That, sh that shield that the soldier had, the Holy Spirit told Paul to write this, shield of faith. Because someone's going to shoot at God's children, but you don't need to be scared. You don't need to have any fear. Because none of those arrows are going to get to you because you have the shield of faith with which you put out front and it catches all of Satan's attack so that it doesn't bring any harm to your life. The Roman soldiers all had those shields and every soldier was required to care for his own shield. And every day of a soldier's life, if he had the opportunity, wasn't engaged in battle, the soldier had daily tasks, two in particular. 
The, soul, the shield was wood, curved. Uh, it wasn't brittle. It, it would take a blow and not crack. It was covered with leather and then covered with some metal ornaments and hooks and things and straps in the back. And every day the soldier was required to put that shield into a barrel of water. Put it in the water, get it wet, pull it back out, wipe it down completely. In the New Testament, the water is a picture of the Word of God. Then he would take that shield and he would set it down. He would take oil and he'd rub oil all over that leather and let it seep into the leather and touch the wood. When the blow came against the shield, it would bend but not break. It would take the blow but not shatter. It would take an arrow but wouldn't catch fire. They were amazing. What they, they were geniuses, these guys were in battle. It had hooks all the way around the edge of it. And you could take the shields and you could go into turtle formation, is what the Romans called it. And it means we all come together side by side, man and woman shoulder to shoulder, and we hook the shields together, little hooks on the sides. And we put the shields out like this, and it becomes a turtle shell protecting all of us. And those soldiers could just say, are you ready? One, two, three. Left, right. And they just moved together in turtle formation, and your arrows didn't affect them. Your spears didn't stop them. They'd march right up on top of you and open that thing up and go to war with you. They were unstoppable. And the only way the formation ever failed is if someone in disunity unhooked and pulled apart. Is there any lesson for the church of Jesus Christ here? Listen, the only way Satan can get to you is if you abandon your, your, your spot. Listen, or maybe you haven't claimed your spot this morning. Listen, we have many visitors here and we're so thankful you've come to worship with us. There's no more wonderful place you could be a member of a church than Cornerstone. It's a wonderful people. And listen, they'd be willing to lock shields with you. They'd be willing to stand side by side with you and your, 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 your spouse and your family and go forward together on the mission of making disciples in this world for Jesus Christ. And they'll protect you and you'll protect them. And together we'll go side by side forward for Jesus Christ. That's the shield of faith very, very quickly. He says you have the helmet of salvation, verse 17. And take now the helmet of salvation, which you have to believe is the most essential piece. In other words, I could go, I, I could survive a battle. I wouldn't want to. I could survive a battle without a hand or without a foot. But I don't think any of us can survive a battle without a head. So he says, here's the key. He put on the helmet of salvation. It's made of bright metal. It's etched with battle scenes, the Roman helmet. The Roman helmet, depending on what your rank was, had a plume that went like a mohawk. You've seen that, right? Red or black. Some of them had plumes that went straight up into the air. Now, now listen, when you see the soldiers in formation and they have that helmet on, it makes them look about a foot taller than they really are. Do you see the intimidation in this? You, you see that brightly colored thing, that decorative thing, the medallions gleaming, battle won, battle... See, when, when they roll the troops out with no medallions, we're like, piece of cake. But when they roll these guys out and their breastplates and their belts of truth are covered with victories, and they've got a helmet on that makes them look about seven feet tall, and they've got those shields out there in the breastplate of righteousness. Let me tell you about the helmet of salvation. 
When Jesus Christ came into your life, when you received him as Savior, he washed your sins away and gave you his righteousness. That helmet makes him look bigger and stronger and better than he really is. And I want you to know when you look at our lives and you see anything that's attractive about my life or your life, it's because of the grace of Jesus Christ. If we look holier or more righteous or cleaner or better, it's only because of Jesus Christ, is what I'm saying, has put the helmet of salvation upon my head and made me look seven feet tall. When I take it off, I might be four foot three. You know what I'm saying? But because His righteousness and salvation has crowned my life, now you see, well, the pastor's a clean guy. It's a righteous guy. Not in my own, I'm not, only because I have the helmet of salvation on. Let me give you the next one, the sword of the Spirit, or the sword of Scripture. Verse 17, put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Romans carried a small sword, not a long one. This is not Braveheart. This is not Eric the Viking. This is short 18-inch sword, perfectly balanced, double-edged. What kind of battle is that made for? 18-inch sword. It's made for very close quarters combat. And it's going to be up close and personal. It means every one of us are going to have a personal, personally engage in the battle for Jesus Christ. Double-edged, an American and English obviously means double-edged. But in the original Greek where this is penned by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, looking at the soldier, the words Paul wrote in Greek was two-mouthed sword. Those are the literal words put on the page in Greek. Two-mouthed sword. It translates to English. Obviously, a sword doesn't have a mouth. Does that make sense? It's an idiom, a figure of speech. We have to figure out how to translate it into English. We translated it double-edged because we know the sword was double-edged. We know what a Roman sword looks like. But you have to understand what God's trying to communicate to you. A two-mouthed sword. You see, this is speaking of Scripture now, the Bible. Scripture is two-mouthed. What it means is God spoke His Word to us, but it doesn't do any good until we take it into our lives and speak it again. In other words, Scripture has to be applied to be valid. It has to be applied to our lives to make a difference. It has to pass through two mouths to be effective and powerful and sharp and, and, and to be able to do battle. God spoke it. We received it. Now we can speak it again. It means application. It means doing. It means it, we take it in and make it who we are. This is what Jesus said when, when, when he spoke about the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Here's what Jesus actually said. Everyone who hears my words and does them will be like a wise man who built upon a rock. This is what James meant when he said to the congregation, be doers of the word and not hearers only. This is what Paul meant when he wrote in Hebrews the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-mouthed, two-edged sword. You have been given a mighty weapon to do battle against Satan with. God has spoken, and now it's time for you to speak. Jesus demonstrated for us in a live fire incident what this looked like. He was baptized and immediately went to the mountains to be tempted. And when he was tempted, he squared off with Satan, and he pulled out the two-mouthed sword. And here's what Jesus said. Satan, it is written. 
In other words, Jesus had a word from God, spoken once, and now Jesus is about to speak it the second time. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You know, Satan tempted him again. It is written, you shall have no other gods before me. Satan tempts him. It is written. And Jesus just keeps quoting. He's wielding the sword of the Spirit in his own life. Now, there's nothing more beautiful than watching our discipleship people memorize Scripture and say Scripture. I want to thank you for doing that. I want to thank our discipleship group leaders right now publicly for helping our people memorize the Word of God. It cannot be double-edged unless we memorize it and apply it in our own life. And what your discipleship group leader is doing for you is he has got you locked and loaded your discipleship group leader she has got you locked and loaded and prepared to walk out and live in a hostile world for Jesus Christ you have the sword of the spirit and you know exactly how to quote it you know how to apply it you know what situation it's ready you're ready you're going to be successful because you have the sword of the spirit now let me close with this lastly you're a winner Now, I don't know how you see yourself, but being healthy means to align your view with God's view. God sees you as a winner. God doesn't see his children as losers or defeated. He always sees them as victorious and winning. Now, in most wars, there are many small battles which lead to the big decisive battle. Does that make sense? And the war is won. In spiritual battle, it's the inverse. In spiritual battle, the big war was already won by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And now you and I just play out the little battles to see how effective we're going to be in making disciples as we live for Jesus Christ. The daily battles that you're going to fight this week are not about whether God wins or not. God's already won. It's already won. It's done. The the daily battles you're going to fight this week are not about whether you win or not. You already win. The daily battles that we fight, the reason we need the armor, they determine whether or not we're going to be effective in the mission of advancing the kingdom of God. Now here's what you can expect. And I don't say it to discourage you, I say it to encourage you. But here's what you can expect. The devil is going to batter against the gates of your faith. That's what he does. His minions are going to attempt to tear down the walls of your joy. What he's going to do is his demons are going to shoot discouragement of doubt into your mind. What's going to happen is his evil hackers are going to send viruses into your life to mess up your thinking and to get you out of whack and out of sorts. But God guarantees that you can win over all of those things. You don't need to be discouraged. You don't need to be afraid because he's already made us winners. Let me ask you a question. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Anybody here put your faith in Jesus Christ? You're winners. That's how simple it is. You win. Now, what we want to do this week is we want to be healthy and effective We want to go with the gospel of peace out into the world and fight off Satan. And we want to be able to win somebody to Christ and make disciples. And our effectiveness is going to be determined if we've got the whole armor on. You don't need to fear anything this week if you have the armor of God on. You already win.
Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We're going to have a moment of prayer. We're going to have a closing song. In this moment of prayer, let me just say to every Christian in the room, in this one minute right now, would you internalize a prayer to your Creator, Almighty God? And would you say to your Creator right now, God, I've been thinking of myself as defeated or lonely or tired or weak. Those are not your thoughts. Those are not real thoughts. Those are false things about me. I'm a winner. I'm strong. I have the righteousness of Christ. I have the Spirit of God. I'm going to win. I'm already a winner. You've already declared me to be a winner. I'm a soldier. I have righteousness that you gave me. I'm not weak and susceptible to Satan. I am strong and victorious. And God, I want to align my self-image, what I say about myself and what I think about myself. I want to bring it into line with what you think about me and what you say about me. You're my creator. You're my king. You're my authority. God, I accept your version of myself. Lord, help me to live out your high vision and view of me. Let me embrace this as my identity. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want you to know in the back of the room right now, some of our Christian leaders will be back here as we dismiss. From now till we dismiss, they'll be back there to help you. If you want someone to pray with you, Christian, if you want someone to pray with you about anything in your life, there's people here that will pray with you right now after the service. If you need to know for sure, for the first time in your life, that Christ is your Savior, they'll pray with you to receive Christ. This morning, I want you to know you're who God said you are. God said you're a victorious soldier. Father, wrap the belt of truth around our hearts and minds this morning. Secure us in your truth that we are who you said we are. We are soldiers of Jesus Christ. And we need not fear, for you have given us the armor to win. God, thank you for the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and the shoes of peace. God, thank you for wrapping us in every protection we need to be successful in this life. Father, bless us this week to live out our destiny as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's go home with a song in our hearts this morning. If you need help, there's people in the back who can help you after we dismiss. God bless you.